I wonder who that is. Hello? Oh, hey, John. Funny enough, I was just thinking about you. What's that? No, the thing I was going to say is, what's that? Shut up, let you speak. Okay. Are you sure? In separate houses? Do you think people will buy it? I don't know. Okay, let's give it a go. Bye, John. No, you hang up. No, seriously, you hang up. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to this very special, or possibly not very special, because there might be more of them, uh, edition of Stalemates, the podcast about two men shouting. Um, It's different this time, the formatting has has to change because obviously the world's gone insane and uh, we can't leave our houses, so me and Joe can't be in the same room together which has always been the case, but, uh, you know, this has rather brought it to a head. Um, So what we've done is separately recorded uh, individual rants, and um, using the magic of technology and the internet, we shall glue them together and put in some delicious popular song, um, which relates to the subject therein. I hope that's clear. It should be clear. Um, Any complaints... There, there won't be any. Don't worry. This is quality content, so there won't be any complaints. Relax. Rest assured. Um, it's going to be fine. We'll get through this. Yeah? Let's clap for the NHS. All right. Thank you. All the times I've waited patiently for you. Hi there, self-isolating stalemates. Uh, John, my old uh, stalemates in crime, hope you're doing well on the other side of the city. Hold up and suitably uh, replete with fine cheeses and wines. As for me, well, I woke up some days ago. Now, I've had practice at this, and it's something I've successfully managed every day of my life thus far. I'm a natural at the old waking up, you could say. This day was different, though. Sure, I woke up, as usual, but this time with symptoms, as I believe they're calling it. The times being what they are, this means I panicked. Coronavirus! I screamed only much more urgently, and still only half awake. This fully woke me up. I then WhatsApped one of my doctor sisters. I have two doctor sisters to choose from, which almost seems like hoarding in these times of scarcity. My doctor sister, number one, took note of my symptoms... Pounding headache, shortness of breath, aches and pains in my bones, and the shrillest banshee-like ringing in my ears. This ringing was so sonically thick and textured, it felt like you might have been able to spread it on toast. It is not nice. Quarantine, she told me immediately. 14 days, she added. It's not that I have COVID-19, you see. It's just that I have a lot of the symptoms. And testing seems available only if you're very seriously ill or on Graham Norton's speed dial. And I don't think I'm either. Last time I checked, shit, I thought. 14 days? I have bloody ADHD. I'll be lucky to last 14 minutes. I paused briefly to compliment myself on a spontaneously neat turn of phrase. Must use that one again, only in company, I further thought. 
That's how terrible a person I actually am. We are in the middle of a pandemic, people, and society as we know has changed forever. Quite how much, and whether or not for the better, we don't know yet, do we? But these are frightening and surreal times. Everything currently comes with an uncharted territory, here be dragons kind of vibe. People being people are of course responding to this scary new pandemic with extremely varying degrees of sanity and caution. Most puzzling to me, well, second to all those maniacs who went ahead and got absolutely langered on St Paddy's Day down the local Weatherspoons are those mad cats harking back to the spirit of the Blitz. I can't help thinking they're going to be in for a bit of a shock. Apart from the impressive feat of having nostalgia for a time before they were alive, those dudes don't seem to understand that COVID-19 won't just fight us on the beaches. It's also happy to fight us on the park benches, public toilets, the toiletry section of boots, the buses, the shoe shops, the covered markets, the uncovered markets, even your nan's house. Seriously though, do keep clear of your nan's house for a while. It's the kindest thing. The fact is, this inscrutable COVID-19 will fight us anywhere, anytime, any place. Just say where, bozo. It'll be there with a flick knife and a heavily pomaded quiff. Bastard. Also, unlike the Nazis, COVID-19 can move amongst us practically undetected. This is partly, but not exclusively, on account of its distinct lack of a strong German accent. It's basically a regular Schweinhund, isn't it? Now I'm in full lockdown mode with my housemate Paul and my son Eli, who's only recently come over from the mysterious wilds of Norfolk, which is currently the safest place in the UK to live right now, apparently. He's come to live with his old man in the pandemic playground of Belfast. Sorry, kiddo. As I further pondered the prospect, 14 days, a fortnight wasn't so bad, really. I mean, I am in a sort of self-isolation already. My line of work, which unhelpfully involves the gathering together of people in public places, has completely dried up. My diary is currently emptier than the interior life of a Kardashian. The pubs are closed, and I'm not going nowhere, baby. Yesterday, I was asked to appear on BBC Radio Ulster to report from the front lines of the plague pits and relay how quarantine was going. When I say appear on... Worry not, they have this thing called the FaceTimes, through which I communicated the bore details safely and remotely. The programme makers also asked if, by chance, I was writing some sort of journal about the experience. My surveys from exile, as it were. I am now! Anyway, interspersed with idle ruminations and watching box sets of The Wire, I'm trying to put together my kind of isolation playlist, further emboldened by John suggesting that we do a stalemates isolation playlist. All kinds of bangers on it. Including this one. left the house for five days. The last time I went out there was no official lockdown and there was no real change in people's behaviour except there was slightly more outgoing. Huge great family clumps had gathered to cough at one another and blight the footpaths. Joggers too had spread like a rash across the backside of East Belfast, sweaty, red-faced and gobbing on the streets where you live. No one was social distancing. The shops were running normally, even if stocks were running a bit low. I came in fuming at people's idiocy, having risked my life several times crossing a busy motorway to avoid another diseased family group carelessly risking my health and well-being. Well, today I went outside, 
and what a difference five days in a global health crisis makes. The birds are very loud now, which means A, they were always loud and I just didn't notice because of all the surface noise, or B, Daphne de Moria was definitely onto something. I went to the shops, but the shops were shut. There was some confusion at the co-op, which was nominally open. The shutters were half down, like in Clark's, and a sign, or clerks that should probably be, because it's American, and a sign on the window said they were limiting the amount of people coming into the shop. And they really were. There was nobody in the shop, not even any visible members of staff. After a few minutes, I had made a tentative tap on the glass with my elbow, but nothing stirred. There was nowhere to queue but the car park, which was already filled with two giant all-terrain people carriers. No drivers in evidence. I was approached outside the shop by a cheery man in his sixties blowing his nose into a handkerchief and clearly up for a bit of chat at close quarters, so I made a break for it. If I am to be sober, then at the very least I shall try not to be clean. The scenes outside Super Valley resembled a pre-Glasnost Soviet bake sale. I'll live off the contents of my toaster's crumb drawer for the time being, I think. People still aren't keeping their distance. I don't think it's down to pheromonal leakage from me. And joggers simply need to be stopped. With an air rifle, if necessary. There were little rainbows in every other window, which I thought surprisingly progressive for East Belfast, until I realised they weren't gay rainbows. I think they mean hope, which is quite nice. There are a huge amount of people trying to sell their houses near me, which seems remarkably optimistic in a pandemic. Maybe they know something, though that seems unlikely. So... Loud birds, stupid joggers, rainbow flags and the impossibility of getting any wine from anywhere. I think I'm done with the outside. You're going to check to see if human hibernation is a thing. And if it's not, I'm going to make it a thing. I wondered earlier for a bit, small length of time, no no time at all really, if John and I could continue doing our Stalemates podcast whilst living in splendid isolation, so far apart from each other, um, not being able to talk over each other, which is obviously a, a terrible regret of mine. But then I took inspiration from the fact that I'm pretty sure that's how ABBA worked in their final years. They were the original social distancers, weren't they? But they carried on working, nevertheless, through alienation, separation, hostility, antipathy, continuing their mellifluous, alluringly sweet, deceptively dark outpourings of genius. Scandi saw epics for the taking a break generation, eh? Bloody super troopers. Not that I'm comparing John and myself to ABBA for one minute, okay? We're neither pretty or hairy enough. But on the other hand, ABBA wish they had our audience share amongst middle-aged, semi-employed males whose names begin with J in the greater Belfast area. In your face, ABBA. Anyway, I put the Super Trooper album on. Magnificent record. Put on the record player. Play both sides twice. 
with a big, stupid smile on my big, stupid face. Hey, society may be dead, but long live ABBA. written envelope posted through our door addressed to residents of 11a that's us i reason using what's left of my traction with reality fairly successfully i opened the envelope it was from the guys who run our local neighborhood watch it contained two cards one green one red there was also a note please put out the green card in your window if you're fine and the red card if you're unwell or at risk and need assistance I immediately put the green card in our front room window. We're no longer feeling that unwell. We are probably not at risk and we're definitely not in need of assistance. What a lovely, compassionate, neighbourly gesture, Sarah at number 42 and Maria from number 21. I said to myself, though, a simple collective effort where we can all do our bit for the vulnerable amongst us through a very simple colour-coded scheme. God bless them. But, on the other hand, who actually wants the red card themselves? Mark your gaff out as the plague house on the streets. All the easier to identify where the unclean ones are come the inevitable purges that follow the inevitable post-pandemic collapse of society. I mean, on one big level, that's all mental and mad, obviously. But why take the chance? That night, on our tentative first after-midnight stroll around the block, I saw the entire street had had the same idea. Nothing but green cards and clean bills of health, thank you very much, as far as the eye could see. This is a healthy street, Mark Daly. Not healthy, son. Plucky, I replied. Plucky and canny. My housemate Paul tells me that quarantine for us is like normality for others. He's right, to an extent. For the first time in my memory, our fridge and cupboards are full. We usually live in a lazy bachelor, hand-to-mouth kind of way. But desperate times call for desperate amounts of cheese and pot noodle. Paul was delighted when I first told him that we had to self-quarantine for a fortnight. You know, we've had a time off work and whatnot. But two nights ago, he started showing his own symptoms. At first, I thought it was because he had nearly downed a bottle of wine. But he tells me that he had only drunk nearly a bottle of wine because he was showing symptoms. It's the classic diseased chicken, drunken egg scenario. Tonight we were watching a BBC4 documentary about the history of live music and it occurred to me that we were now living in an age where live performances instantly become a thing of the past. Taboo, verboten, passe, ta-ta, close for business, baby. I then remembered that I had Sparks tickets for October. Bugger. There is no way the Mile Brothers are going to be leaving the Californian Sparks compound anytime soon to tour. Not with this virus abroad, bloody oddball hypochondriacs. You just know that Ron's had a Philly stock cabinet of latex gloves and surgical masks for years. Paul says he has Black Crows tickets for September. Where we're going to meet them to, he says. He seems relieved, to be honest. We live in the age of the discreet exchange, I exclaimed to zero reaction in the living room. Things will never be the same again, lads, I added with a sense of sad wonder. Paul burped. Eli smiled at me sympathetically and we all watched a blur performance from the 90s. I trudged up the stairs to bed with a sudden sense of the hugeness of what's currently happening. There's nothing to remind you of the true scale of everything outside your tiny immediate world like a global pandemic, is there? I brushed my teeth and washed my hands for 40 seconds, singing God Save the Queen backwards, go me, then jumped into my scratcher and went on the Twitter. Several local journalists of a certain vintage 
were commenting that the coronavirus pandemic is more frightening than anything they've witnessed or reported on during the Troubles. I suppose in the face of fear, loathing and tragedy heaped upon us during the worst of the violence in Northern Ireland, we still had an opportunity to come together, physically and metaphysically, to own it, if you will. We collectivised our experiences, created folk memory and somehow found human comfort in that. There's no point of reference here, no identifiable human hand to help explain and blame for this unstoppable, unconscious thing called COVID-19. It simply doesn't follow the rules of communal violence that's been guided by history's partial hand. There's no storytelling or hagiography that will help rationalise or romanticise a pandemic, is there? This is as vast and intangible as the great big bloody sky. So I can totally understand why the generation who came through 30 plus years of violent struggle and sectarian bloodshed might now reflect upon the certainties of that, in contrast to the disturbingly indiscriminate and relentless nature of a bloody viral pandemic. Anyway, time to play some sparks before bed, methinks. <sighs> night, night. I thought it was on the way out. By yesterday evening I was starting to feel better. The shivering had stopped, the aches and pains abated. I was eating well and drinking lots of fluids. Had a good night's sleep last night without the night sweats which had left the bedsheets wringing wet for the last three days. And I'm sorry, sickness is never cool or pretty except in films. The sickness appears to be taking my body like Tiger Mountain. It came from my throat, my nose, my eyes. It pinched my skin. It ran the shakes through me. My bones ached. I sweated a hard rain for the two hours sleep a night I got. Most of that is done with. It's just in my head now, literally rather than figuratively. I woke up choking back a reservoir of snot. Flooding my head like a small Yorkshire town, my nostrils like a tapped hogshead, pint after pint of the stuff, lemsip yellow, thick as custard, bitter as bile. My left eye is closed over, I feel like I've had a punch to the face, my ears are still ringing, the grooves of phantom knuckles still just about discernible. My brain is fogged, my sinus is gluey. My thoughts lumpen, sporadic and dim. I'm watching TV with the sound down. I can't deal with human voices. Robert Morley has just shown up and I'm not even raising the volume for Robert Morley. This must be it, surely. Flu's last gasp. The final assault. It has nowhere else to go unless it crawls out of my body and starts following me around criticising my life choices and general demeanour. Throughout all of this, Susan has been an angel, as always. I am truly blessed. I sit in a ball in my dressing gown, sneezing and coughing and choking on phlegm, and she takes it all in her stride. She's not bored, and she's not put out. She genuinely wants only that I get better. So I will. I thought it would be today... And maybe it will be tomorrow. I don't want to let her down. Yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. I am happy.
my little podcast bit about coming out of quarantine. Finally, we're no longer unclean. The excitement is palpable within the mouldering enclaves of Shane Oaz. It's the day before we're released from the baleful shackles of self-quarantine and finally taste the giddy freedoms of enforced isolation. Yay. Pulls a party popper. Pop. Can't get them because that's not a necessary item. It's not essential shopping. Okay, I'm being a little glib, even for me, but the biggest difference in my predicament, as far as I can tell, will be that we can now frequent the shops again and also, if I so choose, go jogging. As it happens, I don't so choose. So really, it's just shop till I drop. The other thing that's bothering me is this. What if I didn't really have COVID-19 all this time? What if I just had a bit of a cold and I'm still a potential pathogenic pleasure palace waiting to be debauched by that naughty little fucker of a virus? When there isn't testing available, you just don't know until it's too late. I hit the sound like Christopher Lee in a late period hammer horror. But we may pay for this. In other news, things are definitely getting weirder by the day, but that's okay because weird is fast becoming the new normal. We're quickly forgetting the simple things that we used to take for granted, like getting mad at lumpenly bigoted question time audiences or awkwardly high-fiving the postman when you guessed the song on his wee portable player. Maybe that was just me. Now it's all panic looks all around when the doorbell rings unbidden, running up the stairs to get a lighter that you just remembered is in your top drawer and that being redesignated as high concept aerobics and an extra hour of the Nolan show every afternoon for us uh, Northern Ireland folk. Like, we're not suffering enough. Putting the clocks forward seemed like an extreme act of sarcasm in this temporarily redundant age. All our electronic devices did it automatically on the Saturday night, of course. Thanks, fellas. But I've yet to make the adjustment on my wee wristwatch. A small act of defiance against the prevailing winds which seemed to mindlessly whistle, keep calm and carry on. I'm not sure how that tune goes, but it's annoying. I wonder how long I'll last before I put my watch an hour forward like everybody else. Well, I lasted 13 minutes. I just kept thinking about how my watch was lagging an hour behind everybody else. Clearly I hate being out of the loop, way more than I hate mindless supplication to the system. I'm surely not the only person who feels like they're intellectually flatlining. Right now, every distraction I attempt, every amusing video I start or book I pick up or foreign movie streamer I sign up to feels like I'm hurling a defiant fistful of gravel at the oncoming, all-encompassing tsunami of beige torpor. And it gets harder every day, or to stem the fog, to process the news, to keep meaningfully occupied. I suppose that will dissipate a little once I can go outdoors from tomorrow and practice the two-metre human slalom to and from Tesco or indeed spar, which is closer. I bet I'm dead good at that, actually. Socially distant since 1984, me, and keeping my distance from most people since puberty. You're welcome. Well, Eli and I have been putting off the third series of The Wire, yo, for as long as possible now. I think tonight might be the night to jump back in. It's always reassuring to watch a whip-smart, needle-sharp, real-life drama unfold that reminds you that A, you're way better off than most, you snivelling brat, and B, Omar coming. Small point of order, my brother is also called Omar. I still remember the time when a friend texted me, Omar's dead! in exclamation marks while I was on a bus. It took me more than a few horrifying seconds and at least one horrified yelp, not to mention dozens of funny looks all around, to work out that it was in fact the fictional character Omar from The Wire. I was still devastated, mind you. Spoilers. Since I recorded that last bit, a bunch of stuff has happened really. Uh, it's kind of odd. I've realised doing this remotely from John not have us both 
spilling lines into each other, you know, looking over affectionately, glugging wine, slurring words, um, forgetting the one-liners that we've actually written down in front of us. All those kind of little things that make stalemates so magical. I'm not sure how this is going. I hope you do enjoy it. Um, I've subsequently enjoyed my freedom since uh, talking about coming out of quarantine. And myself and Eli went to the shops to celebrate, to get a pack of fags. Disgusting, disgusting things. And we were rounded on by about 10 policemen on the way back. It was about 2 in the morning. And they basically uh, asked us if we knew anything about the incident in the church. There's about five churches on the Lisburn Road. We didn't know about the incident in the church. We kept stoom. I was holding a loaf of bread, a bottle of sparkling mineral water, the said fags, and a packet of Tic Tacs because they were just there in front of us. They interviewed us for about 10 minutes. And the main cop was talking down his walkie-talkie, looking really stern, like looking so stern that if the wind had changed, he would not have been happy about that. Um, after about 10 minutes, they further enlightened us with the information that it was an incident involving a can of Carlsberg by the church. And they pointed at the church across the road. And there's about, as I said, about 10 churches on the Lisburn Road. This was the one that looked least like a church. It was the one that, in fact, looked like a small community centre or a an even smaller leisure centre. Uh, so we looked nonplussed with our groceries. About five minutes later, they parted ranks and let us go about our business as that special forces unit went on to tackle littering and uh, mild public affray, no doubt, elsewhere on the Lisburn Road. Interesting times. Also after that, my sister Yasmin was cycling. She did the family WhatsApp the other day. Family WhatsApp? My God, it's really come into its own, hasn't it? Where once it used to be like a, a forum for begrudgingly apologising for being late for mum's anniversary dinner or whatever. It's now like a hardcore kind of exchange in marks of, you know, familial badinage. So uh, my sister did point out on that note that uh, she was cycling with her sons, all f four boys, Jasmine. She's a good male provider. King Henry VIII would have had his eye on her if obviously they shared a similar timeline or indeed social class. But anyway... I'm, I'm rambling. Anyway, Yasmin, I'm waffling. This is like the worst Ronnie Corbett uh, armchair story ever. Am I right, John? Anyway, the producer said to me to get a, get a fucking move on. Yasmin and her boys were cycling up the towpath. You know, obviously we're in a lockdown, but um, she's a doctor. She knows what she's doing. She chose a quiet moment of the day. The four of them cycling up the towpath and they were going to turn around and go back. But before they had a chance to, out of nowhere, this helicopter, part blue thunder, part airwolf, mainly asshole, uh, came down and hovered about 15 feet from them. She could see the whites of the pilot's eyes. Uh, the blades were uh, shaking the earth around them. Uh, you know, their scarves were flying off in rakish directions. The one of the boys' bikes fell over. And the guy basically said, hovering, get back where you came from. Signal for them to go back. It's the new world order, folks. It's like Mad Max, only with fewer bullets and a lot more people carriers. I also read that Honor Blackman has just died. The actress from obviously the Avengers, Kathy Gale, the original Avengers girl, and also the immortal pussy galore in James Bond, which provoked the infamous line from Sean Connery, I must be dreaming. I'm not drunk, that's just my Sean Connery impersonation. She was also really brilliant in Jason and the Argonauts as Hera, Queen of the Gods, one of my first crushes actually. I've screened that recently at a cinema. Let's just say the kids provided the perfect cover for the adults to be there. Fantastic film. She was also very memorable for me as well in that sitcom with one of the McGann brothers, I think it's Joe McGann, who I also saw in the stage version of Calendar Girls. He was quite a big hit with women of a certain age there, including my mum. But that's neither here nor there. R.I.P. Honor Blackman died today, 94, and uh, it was an honour to witness her on stage and screen. Boom. And speaking of uh, the older members of the entertainment community, I see bizarrely Patrick Stewart's taking it upon himself to uh, 
do a Shakespeare sonnet a day, just to gird the middle class cultural loins. Two things occurred about Patrick Stewart doing sonnets. Three things occurred. First thing is, ah, Shakespeare. I know John would be disagreeing with me vehemently now and cutting me down to size and castigating me for my lack of a ear or indeed sense for, for the English language, which obviously is quite apparent by the way I speak. But two other things occur. Is there enough sonnets to get us through national lockdown? And is there enough Patrick Stewart? Let's hope there is, and let's hope he makes it so. Little Star Trek joke there for you. Now, before we go into the final bit, I just want to say, if you're still listening, thanks for listening. Um, let us know what you think about this. This is all very new. We're still trying it out. Our recording equipment is slightly dicey. I'm recording this on my iPhone, which can barely make a phone call these days, never mind record such a, a warm brown voice as my own. The second thing I would like to do is put you in the direction of our Spotify playlist that goes with this. As I think I've mentioned earlier in the podcast, Spotify isolation playlist, compiling some of our choice bangers to get you through these solitary times. We've stuck a few of them on the podcast here for copyright reasons. We've kept them within a certain length. <laughs> Loving your work, PRS people. And without further ado, John will finish us off, <laughs> as it were. I had a terrible dream about that quite recently. John will finish us off by having a pop at joggers in his own inimitable way. It's both funny irascible, full of, you know, the verisimilitude, easy for me to say, of the modern human experience, as John usually is. So, um, John Higgins, loving you from afar, take it away, and bon chance, and we will speak with each other again. That's a promise, not a threat. Kiss, kiss. Thoughtfulness, kindness, empathy, basic human decency, abiding by the social contract. That's what I miss about the past. Those crazy, hazy, lazy days of summer when the sun always shone and you could leave your door unlocked and policemen clouted you round the ear and let you off and everybody was a friend and we were all in it together and the ARP warden would bellow turn that bleeding light out and we'd all link arms and sing old lang syne and rustled up powdered eggs benedict in the army surplus wok simpler gentler times people aren't like that now not now not like they were in that fictional nonsense past i've just invented except actually they sort of are People are doing pretty well at the moment. They're mostly not being dicks. They're putting teddy bears and rainbows in their windows, which might be twee, but I don't care. They're applauding the NHS, which is oversubscribed, underfunded and heroically self-sacrificing in the face of the pandemic. People are staying in their homes, finally. They're listening. They're doing the right thing. Except joggers. Red-faced. Sweating, huffing and spitting joggers, tearing up the pavements, never stopping and bringing the social distancing fight to you. The selfish, ignorant pricks. I'm sorry, but joggers are the new vermin. 
If we can cull badgers, then we can take down the joggers. No badger ever gave me TB, but a thick-legged, puced middle management consultant steaming from his nostrils and flobbing generously on the pavement he has commandeered for his own personal use is a positive social danger. Who knows what broiling contagion is emanating from him, like a miasmic halo. These people are sweaty pig pens of disease, and they should cease and desist and fuck off while they're doing it. I get you're bored. I get you want to maintain your fitness. I get that you're allowed out once a day for your health regime. I get that you have no internal life. That's fine. But have some respect for other people. The pavements were not built for jogging during a pandemic. They are not wide. They have blind corners. There are railings at junctions. You're pounding along, refusing to change speed, perspiring and expectorating like a professional footballer is now a fucking health hazard and you need to change your selfish ways. Also, spitting in the street is disgusting even when there is no pandemic. What is wrong with you, you fucking pig? Unless I suppose you get TB from a badger. We're all-